but I have to live a life worth telling you about. That's pressure. My daddy you know? may now make an announcement. Welcome to the Bitterest Pill. It's Dan Class. I'm in my garage under the flight path at uh, Los Angeles International Airport. It's, uh, you know, as I say these words, it is Sunday, November 10th, 2019. Welcome to Blade Runner. So, um, I know it's, I know it's been a while. It's been so long that it uh, seems weird to be talking to myself and hear it in headphones. Which I th- which I take is a bad sign. Um, oh shoot! What was I? I had something. I had well, I had about an hour's worth of things I was going to say, and I now I don't remember. It's been a while. Headphones. So you you know nothing's changed. So listen, there's so much to cover. I don't really uh, know where to begin, and I don't. Uh, I, I don't really want to talk about any of it. Isn't that that's kind of a bad situation, too, for a podcaster to get into is not feeling like really talking about anything, which is essentially where I've been. I've been not wanting to talk about things because. See. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. The anniversary of the show. It's been 15 years. I know. I know it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like it feels like 15 years as if uh, November 3rd of this year. It has been 15 years since the beginning of these ridiculous recordings. And I think a couple of you have been listening probably since close to then, which is sad for you. Not for me. For me, it's crazy. But for you, it's just sad. So, um. See, now that I remember that, I don't remember what I was saying before that, to, that I, right, that I interrupted to say the thing like, oh, that's what it is. So, okay. So, hey, you've missed me. Haven't you? So, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Spare me. So, um, look, it's kind of a weird thing. Doing, doing these recordings is kind of a weird thing because when you and I talk, I tend to sometimes talk about upsetting, depressing things. And after a certain point, apparently that point is around 15 years, 14 and a half years. I just start to worry that I'm depressing you because I have very successfully depressed myself. That that goes without saying. But my concern is that I'm starting to depress you. Like how many shows can I do about some human dying or me finding something dead on the property or arguing, right, arguments with uh, my wife or whatever. Like, how many of those really can I relate to you before I start to feel right, responsible, okay, for your mental well-being? I don't need to start getting super bills from your shrink that you expect me to pay. I can't cover even the deductible. It's just not cool. Have you ever tried to understand insurance? I still, I, we, I've been dealing with health insurance now for God, who knows how long. 
I still don't really understand. I've got a copay and a deductible and a family copay and a, but also a family. What is that other thing where it's like a maximum? But is that a, the maximum that they pay or the maximum that I have to pay? How did what has happened? Can you just fix me? And I'll give you five dollars. Can we can we work on that? It's too complicated and it isn't really complicated. Health insurance is not complicated because I've had it explained to me an infinite number of times and in an infinite number of times it has made perfect sense theoretically when the person has explained it to me. But then I hang up the phone and it just it all goes out the window, right? And I'm just like, what's a what? Fair and reasonable for an office visit in Beverly Hills like that. There's no right. It's, it's a whatever. It's hell. Everything is hell. Right, that's the sound of my paper. So, I, what I, so this is what I have. I have a piece of paper. I actually have two pieces of paper. One is the patrons uh, that I sh- shout out to at the end of the show. Can you believe that? I actually planned ahead and printed out the names. So I will say the names during the normal product process of the show. And then the other one is a list of things that I may or may not discuss. Depending on my mood. So... Could, we could talk about Michigan. I went to Michigan. We, t- we could talk about my niece's wedding. That was lovely. We could talk about the first time and the second time I went to Arizona. I went to Arizona twice since I last talked to you. I've been to Arizona and Michigan. And apparently Poughkeepsie, New York. Has that all really happened since we last spoke? I think so. Well, no wonder I'm not doing the show. I've been, I've been very, I'm a jet setter. Let's see, we moved Hudson into an apartment. I actually went to a football game, like a real college football game. It's the first time in my life. I'm 15 years old. I've, I had never been to a football game. I went to two, two week, two Saturdays in a row. Yeah, I know. This, this, it was just, yeah. <laughs> and uh, see, Hudson did a couple concerts, and uh, I guess that's it. So what, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, well, let's, let's talk about the, Let's talk about the wedding, and I'll tell you, because I'm not really talking about the wedding. The wedding, so my niece, uh, Caroline, got married to a wonderful guy named Chris. So Chris and Caroline got married in the summer. I don't remember when. It was a while ago. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. So, but um, what I wanted to, to, to kind of briefly discuss was the actual ceremony, uh, because... It was in a church. And as you probably know or can surmise by the tone of my voice, I don't go to church. I am very respectful of churches. I'm very respectful. Or I certainly try to be of everyone's faith. But I, I personally don't go to church. And, and because of that, I get a little nervous when I go to church. Because I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to do anything that either A is going to make me look bad, B is going to make whoever I'm with look better, C uh, land me in hell. But Caroline, my niece, is Catholic. And they've gone all their lives to this Catholic church in their town called St. Mary's. And they go there for church and they went to St. Mary's basically, what, preschool, kindergarten, what do you call it, elementary school, and then they essentially went to the high school version of St. Mary's down in, you know, the other part of town or whatever. But, but this is like, this is a, you know, 
this is a major part of their lives. And I have to go there and act normal and be perceived as a normal, sane human being for this ceremony. But see, I have a suit that I'm pretty sure I wore. And that makes me look normal. You know what I mean? Like just a two-piece suit, no, uh, you know, no uh, pleats in the pants. I look a little bit like maybe I'm going to a, more of a funeral, honestly, than a wedding. Maybe, you know what I mean? Because what happens is I, I live in California. And then if you go to New York for a wedding, you, you don't really know how people dress. So I always overcompensate with my stupid black suit. Now, the other reason that I overcompensate with my stupid black suit, honestly, is I don't have a stupid uh, gray suit or a tan suit or one of those ice cream suits. What do they call those? Is that what it's called? An ice cream suit or seersucker suit? Or is those two different? I don't know. I'm not a haberdasher. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know that I have a black suit. And anything else that I own uh, that, uh, that I own, I hate. So I wore my black suit again, which I think made me look very normal, which is good. And when we were outside, I wore sunglasses so no one could see my eyes darting around like, oh, my God, is Jesus watching? So the deal with, with Caroline is she is my wife's brother's daughter. So. I always thought that my wife had a big family because she has four siblings. Caroline, right, her mother, has at least that many, maybe even more, I don't even remember. But they all had kids. And then a bunch of them have kids. So Caroline's extended, like, maternal family is enormous. Wonderful people. Wonderful people. But there's plenty of them. And I think they all go to St. Mary's. Now, the whole reason I bring this up is because we had to go to St. Mary's. I had to go. Finally, after all these years of hearing about St. Mary's, I mean, I've only known my wife for 34 years or whatever it's been. So finally, I'm going to St. Mary's. No pressure. And we, we you know, we're acting normal. I'm with my wife and my kids and my mother-in-law who is 90-some-odd years old, and one of my brothers-in-law. Okay. So we walk into the church, and on Caroline's side, which is the left side, right? She's the bride. On the left side, there's still plenty of places to sit, kind of midway and back. Plenty of places to sit. I'm thrilled because I want to just kind of hide in the back, blend in, black suit, get, get, get this done. I don't, because I'm nervous enough that we may have to stand and kneel and kneel and stand up and cross ourselves and have communion. I never know what to do during communion. Like, am I supposed to do that or not do that? How do you not do that and be cool? I have no clue. So Hudson and I pick a row. And I, I guess... In hindsight, I don't remember. At the time, I thought I had approval for that seating arrangement from my wife. So he and I started to sit down. But Melissa, my wife, kept walking. Now, what I didn't realize is because we're with my mother-in-law, who's 90-something, she wants to sit up front, like closer, much closer. 
which I guess I understand. But now my wife is waving to Hudson and me like, come on, let's go. So we end up walking. And I can't I can't relate to you how like uncool this seemed. (laughs) Oh, my God. We end up walking to the second row and sitting in the second row closer to the action than Caroline's entire local big cousins and uncles and aunts and all like that entire side of the family. There's that entire side of the family. And then there's like me and my atheist kids and my wife in the second freaking row with my mother-in-law. I don't know where my brother-in-law went at that point. He just, I don't, I don't know where he went. So we're sitting in the second row of the church. Luckily, it's at least it's not the first row. Now, the first row is empty. And I figure, okay, good. So we're at least, right, there's going to be a row of people in front of us, probably the bride's parents and uh, God knows who else, right? And then for some reason, it's us. And everyone will see that we don't know when to stand up or kneel or genuflect or cross ourselves or whatever it is. So I'm just, I'm taking deep breaths and I'm telling Hudson, you know, don't worry about it. He and I are trying to keep each other calm. You know what I mean? Little anxiety happening. And then my brother-in-law, the one that we were with, not the groom, not the bride's dad. My other brother-in-law, Bob. So Bob arrives. I don't know where he had disappeared to. So he sits down. So now we're pretty cramped in this row. It's not that big of a place. So there's Bob, my mother-in-law, my wife, my daughter, my son, myself. I think that was it. And it was getting toasty. And another thing I'm worried about is I'm wearing a black suit and it's Poughkeepsie and it's humid. And I live in California and I'm hot here. And I'm not sure that they have air conditioning in St. Mary's because it was built in probably 1776. And even if they do have air conditioning, are they going to turn it on during a wedding? I have no idea. Can you do that? Or do you just rely, you know, you rely on God to keep it the right temperature? I don't, I don't know. Deep breath, right? Okay. So, so the ceremony, uh, begins. And we probably stood up or something at this point. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe we didn't stand up. Maybe that was even part of it. But but the ceremony starts. And, you know, bridesmaids start coming down with groomsmen or whatever. And they go up. And I think, if I remember correctly, they come down, you know, like a normal wedding. And then they, they go up on the stage. Is it called the stage when it's a church? I don't know what, what what would you even call that. It's got to listen. It's a stage, okay? Let's let's call us let's call a bear a bear. It's a stage. So so they come down. I think if if I and, you know keep in mind this was freaking six months ago by now. So they go up and they go up and they go up and they go up and, and there's a normal number of bridesmaids and there's a normal number of groomsmen, right? And then my brother-in-law, the bride's father, Mark, comes with Ellen, his wife. My brother and sister-in-law. 
it's the big day, right? This is it. This is so they're so happy. We're happy for them. Everybody's happy. It's it's going to be great. Mark probably. No wait, did Mark walk? I don't know. See, it's all a blur. I'll t- and I'll tell you why it's a blur because when Mark and Ellen came down, the the bride, mother and father, they got down to our row, and I thought they were going to keep going, and sit. In the first row. But they didn't. They looked at me like, what the F are you doing? We need to sit down. You got to scoot over. So so I look to Hudson. Hudson looks at Tulu. Tulu looks at Melissa. Melissa looks at Glow. Glow's t- watching the ceremony. So we all shove it. So we were already cramped in there. Now we have to put Mark and Ellen in there. And my brother-in-law is not my size. He's a man-sized human. He's a normal man-sized human. And his wife, right? It's already packed. And now there's two more people. It's packed plus two. Do you understand? Well, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I'm just sweating. I'm sweating. And the service comes, you know, begins and it's going. And it turns out. So the front row is empty. Now, why the front row is empty is because the Catholic service is so long, you can't expect the bridesmaids and the groomsmen to stand that long. So it's at a certain point, they're just like, they excuse everyone and they sit in the front. Did you even know that? I think that you should take that as a sign. Listen, if the ceremony is so long that no one can hack it, that it's some sort of endurance test, maybe cut out some of the, Right. So the priest comes on, <laughs> comes on, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. Listen, I don't, I don't know church words. I know show business words. So the, so the priest comes up, he does a tight five and he's, he's a, a great guy, he's a little guy and he's a little hunched over, you know, but, and he's talking about the, the, omni, the omnipotence and the omnipowerness, the powerfulness of the Lord God. And I'm thinking, you should ask God to straighten your ass up. I know that sounds harsh, but why has he done this to you? So he he starts speaking in tongues or whatever that is. I don't know. And then a guy sings. So now we're so now we have to stand because so, we've been standing up and kneeling and standing up and kneeling and all that stuff. And then a guy starts singing, but the guy's singing, why doesn't he come up and just stand on the stage? He's in the balcony somewhere. I don't think I ever even saw the guy. I don't know where he was. He was maybe he was hiding, maybe he's really shy. I have no idea what's happening. Suddenly Ave Maria or something is coming out of somewhere. You know, it's a church, so the acoustics in there. You don't know where the sound is coming from. All I know is that all of us have to turn, make a 180 with too many, too many of us in there. There was no air conditioning. The air conditioning uh, had broken and not been fixed. And there was no air conditioning. And that's why I thought I was going to uh, pass out. But that's, you know, whatever. Hey, listen. What's a wedding without somebody from the West Coast passing out in the pews? No, they're called pews. I know that. They're called pews, right? 
I think they're called pews. Now, hopefully, and I really don't know, and, and I'll never know because they're so nice, right? But the whole time I'm thinking we shouldn't even be sitting here. Ellen's family should be sitting here. You know, Caroline's big other, you know, not other family. You know what I mean? Like um, from the other side, all the local cousins and the local aunts and uncles that she sees all the time that go to St. Mary's. They should be sitting up here and the whole time I'm thinking, please don't. <laughs> right. Is it going to be weird at the reception or something? Why are we here from out of town and we're sitting in the front? If they if they cared, they never showed it. They're too nice and catholic or something i don't know you'd never know i'm the one you know what i mean like worried i'm not even you know what it is i think a little bit of it too i get a little um stage fright even when i know that i don't have to go on stage but there's always this little bit like if someone's going on stage and i know it's a wedding it's not really a stage it's not really a performance but let's face it it's a performance for some reason, I get a little, right? Like the other night, uh, Hudson, our son, you know Hudson, um, performed some music in Hollywood at this place called the Hotel Cafe. And he was very excited. Um, it was just going to be him and a guitar player, and he's playing keyboards or whatever. And um, there's there's zero percent chance at least, if not less chance, of him calling me to the stage, right? Zero percent chance. First, you, I, I, all day, all day, nervous wreck, all day, I don't know why. It's some sort of parental thing, some, right? Nervousness by uh, osmosis, I, I don't know. I was a nervous wreck all day because I knew that, that we had to perform, <laughs> Even though we didn't have to do anything. We just had to show up with the camera. And and of course, that's the, that's the thing, too, is so my wife always gives me the job in, of, of videotaping everything. Now, if she would just not say anything, I would do it and it would get done. But what happens is she requests slash requires it of me. And then it becomes a job that I'm going to screw up. And I thought. You would think, like, well, why would you screw that, right? Why, how could you, right? But, so, Hudson had a, a show previously since we last spoke up in Simi Valley, which is uh, north of here, and it's, you know, whatever. So, he was performing at this park show. A bunch of people were playing in a band shell up in Simi Valley. Da, da, da. So, I was given the job, even though, I, again, would have done it anyway, Given the job of videotaping and bringing the did you bring the camera? Are you bringing the camera? Do we need a tripod? Should we bring the? the <laughs> and so I'm bad mouthing my wife under my breath, grumbling. I just, of course, I know what twenty five years of right. So we get there. The show's already started. We knew it would have already started. But we were there in plenty of time to catch Hudson. So, but we're, we're nervous because we're the class family. We have to be nervous. This branch of the class family is always, whenever we go to anything like this, we're so uptight. We're fighting. No one is talking. 
I don't think the rest of the class family. I don't picture my cousin River. You remember Ronnie, cousin Ronnie River? I don't picture him getting uptight about anything. So it's not really the class family. I don't know what it is. It's me or maybe it's, I don't, I have no idea, but we're all just bitching at each other. And so just to appease my wife, as we're walking, we're like, we're not even sitting yet. We're walking up and I pull the camera out of the bag and I go to turn it on and everything. And there, (sighs) there's no battery. In the uh, in the camera, and uh, I go back to look, and there's not a battery in the car. Because why would there be? But I looked anyway, just in case. I'm sure you've felt that before, where you do something ridiculous just in case. Previously, you did something even more ridiculous, right? Like, I know my underwear is not in the refrigerator, but you know what? You never know. I can't find my underwear. I put things in the refrigerator. Maybe I put my underwear in the refrigerator. You just, uh, right? You feel obligated to look. Oh, my God. My wife worked into conversation the fact that, that I forgot the battery every day for about three weeks. Now, luckily, I had batteries. I had a backup battery. You know, this Monday, the show that we just did in Hollywood, battery, backup battery, backup to the battery. So I'm, I'm set, right? Now, the plan is that we're going to go from Orange County. We're going to drive up to the house and pick up a tripod so we can tripod that stuff, right? And then we're going to go up to Hollywood and see Hudson. It's going to be great. We're going to see Hudson performing, doing his thing. We're making a special stop at the house for the tripod. So, that's fine. So, we get to the house. And, and Melissa and I, again, we're not we're barely speaking to each other. Why? Well, because we're going somewhere. Why would we just go somewhere and enjoy it? Why would we enjoy the drive together and hanging out together? Right? You're hanging out with your uh, spouse. <laughs> the person that theoretically you wanted to spend your whole life, life with. And you can't even, right, muster up a casual conversation in the car. You're just like, no, you know what? She put on talk radio, which I took very personally because like, oh, I guess we're not going to. Okay. So we finally get to the house to get the tripod. Now I know exactly where the tripod is. And it's a good tripod. It's best. It's professional grade. Three-legged Uh, What do you call it? You know, like oil dampened swivel head thing or whatever. So I go and I get it out of the garage. And just to be on the safe side, I open it up to look at it. And there's a piece missing. And it's the piece that essentially is required to to connect the camera to the tripod. Like without this piece, because you don't. Right, A lot of the times you don't connect the camera to the tripod. You connect the camera to a plate, and then the plate goes into the tripod, right? Well, there's no plate. The tripod is plateless. And then I remember, oh, wait a minute. Hudson, I'm not blaming this on Hudson. I'm just telling, I'm just going back to the origin of the sequence of events, okay? I'm not blaming Hudson. I'm owning this. 
However, in the summer, Hudson borrowed the camera and the tripod to help his friend Harry. And I think when he did that, he left the plate on the camera and put the camera in the camera bag, which is not a problem. But when I took the camera and I took it to Orange County, and we were all getting nervous and tense that I had batteries and a card for the photos and everything for homecoming dance, because our daughter was going and she had a date, that I right took the camera out and anything that I didn't need, I took out of the camera bag. And guess what? I took the plate out of the camera bag in Orange County and put it somewhere in Orange County. So we drove away from the plate all the way to the house where the plate is not to get the tripod that is plateless. So then I essentially just put the tripod back in the garage and didn't speak to my wife again until we got to Hollywood because that was not going to go well. So we got there super early. I mean, there's, there's no reason to even get into any more of this story. Basically, we got there super early, like a couple of effing parents. We may have been the only parents there. It was a club. It was a, it was a bar. It, it's, it's, you know, it's called the Hotel Cafe, but it's a, it's a bar. And, it, and we kept asking the question and could never get a straight answer until we were finally there, about to walk in, where Hudson finally said, yeah, it's 21 and over. Which meant, see, our son is 20. So none of his friends can get in the club to watch him perform. And actually, if you want to get really technical about it, he is not allowed in the club to watch the other performers perform. So we get there early to hang out with Hudson, just talk to him and say hi and meet his girlfriend. He's finally admitted that he has a girlfriend. No offense to her, but he, you know, he, he doesn't talk about that stuff. So we want to meet the girlfriend, meet the guitar player, hang out before the, he has to go on. But he's not allowed in there. He's down the street at Amoeba Records looking at uh, vinyl. So we, you know what I mean? So we just hung out and watched a bunch of USC students literally... <laughs> It's just beautiful planning on the part of the producer of the show. A bunch of students that can't be in the club, so they have to literally wait outside in the alleyway or something. I don't know where. The, maybe the green room is 18 and up. I don't know. But they have to hide, come on, sing a couple of songs, thank you very much, and then immediately run out. Yeah, US, USC. USC. You'd, you'd think USC student producer lady girl would figure out, hey, you know what? If I'm going to have a, a bunch of college kids perform somewhere in Hollywood, maybe I should go to one of the umpteen, umpteen, ump, 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 many um, underage clubs. What do you say, everybody? Could we do that? Because maybe if we did that, there'd be an audience of, you know, our peers. Anyway, Hudson had fun. I think he was a little under the weather. His girlfriend's amazing. So happy for him. Um, but see, who was I explaining this to recently? Oh, yeah, it was Rachel. 
What's Rachel's name? Rachel Martin? Rachel. She's kind of a famous blogger. Shoot, I can't think of Rachel's name right now. I think it's Rachel something Martin. Anyway, I was talking to somebody and I was talking about how the kind of the nature of doing these podcasts has changed in that, um, you know, when they were younger, the kids were younger, um, I always had a little bit of trepidation about telling certain things because, you know, they're humans. They have rights, even if they're five. They do have a certain number of inalienable rights. Among them should be the right to privately do things without their father talking about it on a podcast. But I was saying to Rachel, well, what's happened now is my kids are really like adult, young adults. You know, my daughter, my youngest is 16 now. Yeah, you, you think you feel old? <laughs> well, I'm just, I can't, I, I can't tell her stories. I can't tell Hudson's stories. Not, not, well, not at all, really. It's not like we're hanging out together like we used to, where I'm bathing them or they're pooping on the floor or whatever. Like they're fully formed human beings. So in a way, I'm not right. I'm not even really sure what I should be talking about on these podcasts anymore, which I think is probably a big thing reason, right? It has been probably, what is it, six months at least that I've done one? Because I don't do that much. I, I can only, like, let's say I figured out how to squeak an hour out of driving to work three days a week. That would still only be one podcast. Maybe another half hour about how I really want to fall asleep when I get home every night just because I'm tired and I've been driving. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares? Even, even if somehow I could gild that lily, it'd only be one lily. So I, I think I got to start doing crazy things and sneak, right? I got to sneak out at night and I don't, I don't know what, but I got to, I Right. I have to live a life. And this is something I'm worried about, but I have to live a life worth telling you about. That's pressure, you know. But by the same token, I've been having this really massive. And this isn't even on my list, but this is really what I want to talk about. Existential crisis. Now, if I understand that term, basically, that means you wake up to the fact, fully wake up to the fact that you're going to die. And that life is, in in some ways, utterly, you know, meaningless. And, and and I don't mean meaningless so much as just like you you know you you make of it what you make of it, but it does end. And that's one of the great things about it. In theory, people are always trying to tell you, well, yeah, but of course, because it's finite. That's what makes life sweet. I'm like, yeah, but how finite is it? Because I know some people that have died recently. And that was too short to be fine. I mean, I'm sure they were fine with it being finite, but finite like I'm in my 90s finite. Not not finite, I'm in my 50s. Okay? Like, no thank you. But what happened was, I so like I said earlier, I went to Arizona. And I'm not going to really talk about that so much, I don't think, but really the effects of that, which was, so I went to Arizona to borrow a car, but then a couple of weeks or a month or whatever it was later, my mom uh, fell and broke, she fell and basically, she, my, my mother fell and broke her hip, right? Isn't that what that is? She had two fractures in her pelvis. That's breaking your hip, right? 
So she broke her hip in two places. So I went back to Arizona to hang out with my parents because it was, you know, she's in the hospital. She's out of the hospital. She was having all these other problems, you know. Um, So I went out there to kind of hang with my dad and make sure he was all right and hang with, you know, visit with my mom and see how she's doing. And they've got this friend, Holly, who's helping them all the time, make sure Holly's not running herself ragged. So I was there for, I think, a week and a half or maybe, well, I don't even remember now. And a lot of people go through this. I'm not saying this is a unique experience. I'm actually bringing it up because it's a completely universal experience. Is the experience of your parents getting older. And it's not even really older. It's that your parents become slightly, but gradually, and then more and more, diminished. Which is not to say that my parents... um, are in bad shape, but they're not with, right? My, my parents are not in their fifties anymore. They're, my dad's in his eighties. My mom's, is my mom 80 yet? It's got to be damn soon. Um, so to hang out with them and see the little things that they now struggle with that they would never have struggled with when I was growing up. You know, I mean, it's just silly little things like management things. You know what I mean? total office management type of just normal stuff or boring stuff or things they don't want to do anymore, you know, taking 30 naps a day or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff of just normal, normal old age stuff. I feel it already. Trust me. It's, this is not new. It's not new. It's not unique to Dan and Isla class by any stretch of the imagination. But what it is, because I am so self-centered and I am so in my head, Part of part of my brain then becomes absolutely dedicated to the fact that, holy crap, this is going to happen to me. This is going to happen to me where I'm going to get old and I'm not going to be able to do this or that or whatever. And I don't feel like I'm enjoying the life that I have. So what am I? Am I just coasting now until I die? Like, is that what that is? Because your parents get to that age. If you're my age anyway, right around the time that your kids, you know, uh, need you less. And the equation of your parents needing you more because of their declining health and well-being and your kids needing you less and less because they're adults is bizarre. And I think my sister referred to it as being in the sandwich generation. Is that what that's called? Where you're sandwiched between, you're still caring for your kids, but now you're kind of caring in a way for your own parents also. And it's not the worrying about my parents that I mind or the caring for them or whatever, or, you know, any of that stuff. It's just the reality of like, oh my God. They weren't kidding. Like we all get older and then, the, the, and the, <laughs> really? So it it makes you uh, really stop and question like, okay, well, let's let's put some things in a perspective. I'm fairly uh, healthy and I'm taking that for granted. Um, I'm still married. I have two wonderful kids. And uh, okay. So I'm not necessarily 
going to die tomorrow. I'm not necessarily losing, but I don't feel like I'm winning. I don't feel like I'm winning if winning is enjoying life. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like other people go on vac- we never go on vacations. We don't. We don't go out. When we do go out, we're mad at each other. Like I I I got to change my life, man. Lady man. My friend. You understand what I'm saying? Like, listen, the, the clock is ticking. I could die at any moment. Now, when I do die, and this is the upside of it, apparently, as far as we know, you don't know that you die. You just die. Luckily, you don't die, and then your body stops working, and then you, as far as we know, lie there in agony as you decompose. Apparently, as far as we know, you die, and then you're just dead. That's it. So, so in that regard... Right? What, what's that English beat lyric? Being dead don't hurt, only dying. Right. So, okay, fine. But still, you have a finite amount of time. What are you going to do with it? Now, when I was in my, you know, 20s, I did this. In my 30s, I did this. In my 40s, I did this. In my 50s, what am I doing? Other than, uh, I don't know, ruminating? Feeling, feeling sorry for myself on a regular basis, not doing all the things that I should be doing. I, I wake up every day knowing full well, completely aware of the fact that I should uh, exercise. And I haven't gotten in decent exercise in a couple of years. And that's why, you know, I keep saying that I've gained weight. I think I'm up to about 20 pounds over. Over where I should be. 15, at the very minimum, 15, if not 20. Pretty sure I'm heavier than I've ever been. And that's the part that I find irksome. It's not, it's not my weight or my weight versus my height or anything like that. Per se, it's per se that I'm heavier than I've ever been. Because cause that stinks, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 and what's frustrating is... Whenever I've tried to lose weight, I have not been able to do it. But apparently there was a time about two years ago or two and a half years ago where I lost a lot of weight and I wasn't trying. And I don't know. I think I think I know how I did it, but I don't have that kind of time because I was going to karate all the time and walking a lot. And probably it was probably before I started taking some medication. That's probably the actual reason that I'm getting so fat. So this is great. So maybe I should do what Kanye West clearly has done and go off my meds and try to lose weight. I'll be depressed, but I'll be thinner. And if I'm thinner, I'll probably be less depressed. Now that's logic, right? All right. Well, what else was on this list? See, now you're now you're now you're kind of not so sure that I should have started going back to to doing these shows. Right? Aren't you having just oops, wrong list? Aren't you having just like the slightest bit of like, oh God, do I really want to go down this rabbit hole? Well, see, that's the thing. I'm not sure you do. Or at least I'm not sure I do. I you know what I want to do? Really, honestly? One of the things that I think I want to do is meditate. Because it seems like it would be the hardest thing in the world for me to do. 
But what happens with these things, because karate was the same way. You know why I studied karate? Because I suck at karate. It was one of the hardest things I could think to do. Now, I didn't go for it with that in intention. It, wasn't, it was only later that I realized, oh, yeah, you know, you really are bad at this. And you really shouldn't be bad at it because of how many years you've sort of been involved in that kind of thing. But you stink. So, so I think I want to meditate because I think I need to. Because I think I need to. Trust me, baby. Um, but I know how I operate and I'll get goodish at it. After a lot of hard work, and then I'll stop, right? So what I really need to work on is the not stopping and then, and then following something through to mastery. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Do you meditate? Because it it's become so common now that I can't even tell what kind of people actually are the meditation kind of people and what people are not the meditation kind of people. But when I used to go to karate, we used to meditate and I didn't know, but I think we were actually meditating. You know what I mean? Like we would, we would say we were meditating. We would sit there and quote unquote meditate and we would, you know, breathe in and breathe out and all this stuff. But I, for some reason, didn't think of it as actually meditating because I was so happy that we were taking a break from punching and kicking and running around and hyperventilating. But I think actually we were actually meditating. Does that make sense? It wasn't that he was having us meditate because we're all middle-aged and he didn't want anybody to die. I think we were actually doing it. So I got to go at least go back to that part of it and do a little meditation or Tai Chi or something. Do you, if you meditate, you, you've got to fill me in on, I've been listening to all these meditation books. And the problem is I've listened to so many now that I really can't listen anymore. Without meditating. Do you understand what I mean? Like you get to a certain point like, okay, enough. Sit down and shut your eyes. You can't listen to another audio book about, you know, focusing your attention and breathing and uh, non-attachment and all this Buddhist stuff and whatever, right? You can't just, you, you just can't do that. So I did go to Michigan though. And I went to Michigan to shoot Northbound. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Northbound. Okay. Northbound is the science fiction, speculative reality, speculative fiction, whatever, whatever, post-apocalyptic web series that I've been talking about for like 18 years. Okay. And I went to Michigan to shoot my stuff from season three, where my character finally arrives, Dr. Trepanier, Stephen Trepanier, because when Seth... And Nathan Anderson say they're going to do something, they do it. And here we go. So I went to, to a, I almost said a bad word, Michigan, but I went to awesome Michigan, the Upper Peninsula. And maybe I'll tell you, I mean, there just aren't that many details, really. And that's not really what I want to get into right now, except <clears throat> everyone there is so nice that it makes me want to move to Upper Michigan. And buy a house that I can reasonably afford and just live there. Now, the problem with me doing that would be I would freeze to death in the winter. So maybe I won't do that. But everyone there is so nice and so hardworking and so, like, dare I say normal, 
<laughs> compared to here. You know what I mean? Like, it's great. It's really great. And, uh, you know, the producer, uh, Jason Hagen, came out from, oh, shoot, I don't remember where he lives now. Where do you live, Jason? Like, Nashville or something? So I got to hang out with Jason, the producer of Northbound, and not Seth very much because he was a little busy directing. But um, I, j- I had a great time. We shot into the wee hours of the night. Maybe I'll tell you about that at another time. But but basically, so I flew in and then I, f- I had to fly out when I was done. And, and I was there, I think, five days or something. It was a nice day. Play- stayed in a nice little like a condo at this resort, the ski resort where they do ski jumping every winter. But um, one of the guys who's very involved in the show um, really was this guy, John. So John offers to drive me to the airport, which is great because Jason and Evan, the guys that would have driven me to the airport were busy because they were still shooting. They, they shot for another week, I think, after I left. So John says, hey, I'll take you. And I say, great. And he says, hey, well, what are you doing before your flight? And I say, well, I've got some work I got to do. I don't even remember what it was. It was tax related or something. I forget. I've got some work I got to do in the morning. Uh, but uh, but I'll be done in plenty of time to get to the airport. Yeah, that's not a problem. I just, you know. We have to drive from Michigan and it's not really that far, but it sounds far that we have to drive to Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's where I fly in and out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's another state. Now, it's not that far, but it's still because I live in California, you have to drive a long time to get to another state. So to to drive from Michigan to Green Bay, Wisconsin, feel it just right. Emotionally, it's very far. So he says, we'll tell you what, I mean, I'll pick you up. You know, whenever you're ready, I'd love to take you out on my boat on the uh, river. River? Yeah, I think it's a river. And we'll, you know, hang out. Maybe so-and-so will be there, such-and-such or whatever. And then I'll take you to the airport. I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, listen, if if we can do that and, and get me to the airport on time, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to see where you, you, you know, whatever. So, because he has this place. He's telling me he has this place on the river. I don't know what the hell that even means. He has a, I don't, I have nothing to relate this to. I've been living in California since 1988. We don't really have a river here. I mean, people, well, no, I should take that back. There are people here that live along the river in a tent, but it's not what John's talking about. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think John lives like a homeless person with his wife during the summer on the river in Upper Michigan. In L.A., it's like, okay, so so he says, yeah, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I do my work, whatever the hell that was. I forget, again, budget, whatever. I eat another uh, Monte Cristo sandwich or Reuben or whatever it was. And then he picks me up and then we go to the river. He, well, no, he first he takes me to the top of the ski jump. We do We do this like sightseeing thing. It's great. And then we go to his place on the river. And what the, what it is is like a river, but the river is really calm because it's like a little tangent of the river. I don't know what river it is. Okay. It's in uh, uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan. 
And he has, on the river, permanently parked a very nice, um, you know, like an RV, but a big one. Like the kind of RV that the celebrities get when they're on location for them to be in during the day. Like super nice, <laughs> like in a, basically it's an apartment that if you needed to drag it somewhere, you could drag it somewhere. But it's basically, it's like a little house, but it's an RV. But it's one of those that had, like you push a button and the, like the sides pop out and all, right? So we hang out, we have a little snack, meet his wife, we're talking, one of the neighbors comes by. So he says, hey, so sh should we go out on the water? My boat's right here. This is a little motorboat. I'm like, hey, yeah, if we've got time, let's, let's freaking do it. That'd be great. So we go out on the lake or the river, whatever the hell this thing is. I keep saying lake because it was so calm. So we go down and he's telling me all about the sights and it's a gorgeous day, really perfect. Perfect and green. And you know, I live here, so I never see fresh water. We're actually on fresh water. We're surrounded, essentially, by an infinite amount of fresh water. Because if we needed more, we would just go to Lake Superior and you can't get more fresh water than that, right? It was it was it was just great and really reminded me how much I enjoy, um, you know, that kind of thing. My cousin and I used to do stuff like that where we'd go out on a boat or we'd go fishing or we would, uh, uh, you know, just it, just being outside. Like I'm not outside much anymore. So I'm referring back to when I was a kid, like a teenager with my cousin, not yesterday, like a long time ago. So we come back and blah, -de blah, and we... Get in the car and John and his wife and I head for the airport. Now, again, the airport is in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But John's been there a hundred million times, so he knows where to go. I don't know anything about where to go. So I'm just going to sit in the back seat, And we're going to chit-chat until we get there. And that's fine. Okay, great. So we're going and going and going and going. And we're chatting. I don't remember what we were chatting about, but it was a lovely day. Lovely, lovely time. And John very nicely says, hey, should we stop off and uh, get some food? And I'm like, hey, man, I I mean, I, I don't need to eat. I could eat, you know, on the plane or at the – there's like a snack bar thing at the airport. But if you think we have time, let's – yeah, I mean, we could stop. Sure, that, that'd be good. So we stop at this place. I eat another Reuben or Monte Cristo or whatever the hell. I ate the same sandwich every day while I was there. Nobody's fault but my own. So we have a, you know, little meal. We jump back in the car. We arrive at uh, the airport, Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Green Bay Packers. I know that because I uh, co-host a sports show. Green Bay Packers. I actually know a couple teams now. There's Packers. Uh, there's the Bengals, which always reminds me of Manic Monday. Uh, there's the Jets. Always makes me think of the Sharks and the Jets. Anyway. We get to Green Bay. Uh, I don't know if it's an international airport. It's an airport. It's a very tiny airport in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I get out of the car. Thank you very much. Nice seeing you guys again. Thanks for the lift. This was great. I walk in the airport and it is a ghost town. Like surreal, epic proportion ghost town like there had been an active shooter or something there's nobody around 
So I go up to the desk of the airline that I was flying. I don't even remember what airline it was. There's nobody behind the counters, any of the counters. You know, there's always a little spot for each airline. There's nobody there. I look behind me. John is gone. And I start, like, looking around. Like, how can I get... Because there's a door behind the thing, right? How I'm going to go around this countertop, and I'm going to see if anybody's in there. Like, where are the humans? This is bizarre. So finally, a guy comes back, or comes out. Guy comes out, and he's like chewing on something, and he's like, "Hey, what you doing?" And I'm like, "Hey, I'm here for my flight," and he's like. Hey, we've closed the doors. So what do you mean you've closed the doors? We had time to stop. We had time. I said, and John said, I said, if we have time, and John said, we have time. What do you mean the doors are closed? Well, the doors of the plane are closed. I'm like, yeah, but this airport is tiny. Like, I understand why you would do that at LAX where there might be a crazy person, but this is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Can't you open the doors and just let me in? No. You needed to check in 45 minutes ago. I need to check in 45 minutes early at a Lego airport in the middle of freaking nowhere. I had missed my flight. I literally had nothing that I had to do all day. But make that flight and I missed the flight. I missed the flight. So I call Jason, the producer, and I say, hey, Jason, I missed the flight. And he said, well, how did you get to the airport? And I said, John, John, drove me to the airport. We had plenty of time. So Jason has to call me back, and there are no flights. There are no flights. Why would there be flights? The place is a ghost town. Apparently, all of the flights, there's like 7.30 or whatever. Whatever time I arrived, I don't even know what time it was. That's it for the day. And then they go home like they work at a freaking bank. So I apparently am now going to stay overnight in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So a cabbie takes me over to the, what, Hampton Inn or whatever? And I check in, lovely lady behind the counter. She gives me my key, tells me, you know, which way to get to the room. I open up the room and I walk in and I feel like I have walked through a portal in time into my grandmother Isla's house, my mother's mother. I don't know that I can explain to you exactly what that means but that's what happened like something about the sofa there was a little sofa in there there's a little kitchenette in there and a little desk and there was a bed but there was something about everything everything the bedspread the lamp the bathroom the fan in the bathroom the kitchen cabinets the Everything, everything. It was as if it was taken from my grandmother's house and put into this hotel room. 
So I felt like I was 10. And I just sat on the bed, wondering when I was. I'd had a great time in Michigan, but I, you know, I missed LA. I wanted to come home. Once it's time to come home, you want to come home. You know what I mean? Like I could have stayed in Michigan for the rest of my life, but as soon as it was like, well, no, it's time to go. Then it's time to go. But I never thought that I would make a pit stop on the way home to Los Angeles, to Fontana, California in 1976. Which, by the way, the house was dated in 76. I mean, don't, don't think it looked like the 70s. It looked like the 50s. Well, probably the 40s. And as freaked out as I had been about being in Arizona with my family, with my parents, becoming aged, I felt like I visited with my grandmother. My grandmother, who passed away when she was probably about my age. But visiting with her didn't, it didn't upset me that she died when she was my age. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't make that connection. That isn't the way it went. The like, oh my God, she was my age and she died. I'm going to die. It was actually more like, her daughter got to live so much longer. Isn't that great? And it took my grandmother to put an optimistic spin on it, to, to, put the, to make the glass half full instead of half empty. Even though the, the glass, I'm pretty sure, had started out as a jelly jar. All right, that's the bitterest pill. Uh, thank you for your patience. <laughs> thank you for thank you for listening. I'm tr- uh, trying to get back into the groove. I think I'll probably say that uh, when I release the show every six months. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, listen. I really appreciate that you downloaded the show and listened, or whatever you streamed, or how I don't know what you do. Listen, I don't know what you do. I do, I am not in your business. Okay. You take care of your business, and I, I will leave you be. That's our agreement. Our agreement is, it's up to you. But listen, uh, I do thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Um, I miss you, and I hope you missed me a little bit. And, uh, yeah, so... Anyway, this is The Bitter's Pill. My name is Dan Klass. You know, The Bitter's Pill is made possible by the uh, generous patrons that go to Patreon at patreon.com and they uh, patronize the show. Our listeners like Alex Mirabelli, Brum Lasagna, Dan Kuykendall, Dave Hall of Fame Jackson, David Jason, Gerard Cortinez, Ed Nothnagel, Flores, Harold Goldner, Jay Savastino, Jeff Short, Jim Cariotis, Megan... Mike Scott, Hamilton, Pete, Chase, Rob, New 80s Music, Houston, Sean Othan, Sean Stewart, Tom Carroll, and of course the ever lovely Dr. Robert Rice. 
help me keep the show going and my uh, sanity uh, by uh, being a patron today. URL is on the website. Um, next time we'll talk about... Oh, yeah, my, uh, my uh, wife is between jobs. We'll talk about that. <laughs> you like how I slipped that in right after the Patreon thing? Hey, support the show on Patreon, by the way. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening. I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Keep your chin up. All right, bye.